all, I'm one of the pastors here at King's. Uh, my privilege to be speaking um, today. It's great to have uh, baby Thanksgiving. It's great to have that opportunity to thank God for new safe arrivals, to uh, pray with family, pray for parents, because they're going to, you know, for the grace and strength of God um, in it all. So, so it's absolutely brilliant. So we'll be doing that in a little while. I'm just going to be speaking uh, uh, for a short time. I am looking for three volunteers to help me a little bit later on. Well volunteered, Sarah. So, so I've got one volunteer. So anyone I see snoozing off in the first five to ten minutes, that's totally unacceptable. Um, after about 15 minutes is normal you know, of course, you know, with me preaching. So, so in the first five to ten minutes, um, I'll just have a, I'll be looking out, Noah, you could be good for a bit of a volunteer, I don't know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Um, I thought it'd be really good just to preach or speak into the whole subject of generations um, and looking really at just uh, the importance of one generation uh, to the next. We, um, I think we live in probably quite an increasingly divided um, society in, in many ways, um, where each generation sort of acts independently of the next. Um, I'm, I'm feeling quite old, to be quite honest, because my boys, I've got four boys, I don't really understand quite a lot of the technology and the social media that they're using. I don't know if any of you who are maybe over the age of 25 can relate to that. Um, you're sort of looking at some of what is out there, and it's really difficult to um, keep, uh, keep, keep up to date, really. Culture, values, communication flow at an incredible pace. And in, in many ways, actually, there's no, there's no evaluation of, as to the benefits or the dangers. It sort of just flows out there and, and can go so far and so quickly. Um, it's quite, quite incredible. And so I wonder in some ways if the link between generations has never been more under tension than it is today. It says in Psalm 145 verse 4, it says this, One generation commend your works to another, they tell of your mighty acts. And the illustration or the picture is of an older generation telling a younger generation how amazing, how good God is. Um, a, a different version of the Bible says it this way. Parents will praise your works to their children. They will tell about your mighty acts. And as we're going to be thanking God for the safe arrival of babies, we're also going to be praying for parents, for the grace of God to be upon them. Part of that role is of one generation communicating the goodness of God to the next generation. There is that, that role built in um, with parenting. And when you read the Bible, you'll find that it's a regular theme, that the sort of generations come together, that it isn't we just stand on our own. So um, uh, many times in the Old Testament, it talks about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What's that? That's a father, son, and grandson all being, met, all being described together. They're all linked together. Um, uh, there's another instance where uh, the nation of Israel, two million, million people, cross over the Jordan river on dry ground and they say right you're to God says take all this take 12 stones out the middle of the Jordan put them on the other side and he says well what why why do you do that so that when your children ask why on earth is there this random group of stones 12 stones on top of each other it's so that you can say the God that we worship parted the Jordan river and two million people crossed over on dry ground. It was to create an opportunity for one generation to communicate to the next how amazing God is. 
Now, as a church, we go across the generations in a number of ways. I don't know if you noticed it, but it really hit me this morning. How many children left this auditorium after the first song? It was sort of like, I don't know, you needed traffic lights or something. Certainly stood on the front row, the amount of different children sort of just coming um, through. So we run children's work. We've got youth. We do stuff with the 20s. And what's that? That is one generation commending the works of God to the next. That's, in a sense, what we're doing um, uh, as we do that. But we also do it on Sundays. Um, Maybe not quite such a good uh, uh, reflection of it now, but at the start of the meeting, if you looked across, you'd have found people from zero, probably anyone bold enough, you don't have to, but if you want to boast in your age, anyone over 80 here? Quite a few. Any over 90? So lots of over 80s, no one, everyone been a bit too modest to say that they're over 90. But, uh, but just, just a reflection of the generations that are here. And so I just want to quickly speak really into that subject, particular, I think, reference to parents, but, but not just that. I think one generation telling another is a key part of parenting. It's as we tell our children what God has done. I think grandparents can play a really important role in that too. We have the immense privilege of investing into our children. We have the immense privilege of trying to teach them right from wrong. Anyone struggle a bit with that sometimes? They don't always agree with you. What is right? What is wrong? But part of our role as parents, teaching them how to have fun. I think they generally do that naturally. Um, I guess our role is to try and help them to keep doing that. We teach them to trust themselves and to be in a right way, self-confident, that they can go and live life. We teach them to get to know about God. We teach them how to make friends. As parents, we're in, in such a place of influence. The potential that we have is absolutely incredible. And, and the reality is when God describes raising children, it's, it's actually predominantly the parent's responsibility to do it. It's, it's not society. It's not teachers, it's not youth leaders, it's not the pastor, but actually it's, it's parents who are given the primary responsibility to raise their children. So I want to um, introduce you to three generations in the Old Testament. So Sarah, as you volunteered first, why don't you come up, give Sarah a round of applause. If you just stand, stand there, you will feel a little bit like a lemon for quite a long time, but don't you worry, okay? Because I'm not worried. So, um, brilliant. So, I want to introduce you to three generations. They, they, they appear in the Bible. The first in the generation I want to pick out to you is David. Now, King David is quite a famous king in the New Testament. He, um, oh, I'm going to crown you right now. Okay, so if you can just fix your crown, you may pop that on your head. So King, King, um, King David, he reigned for about 40 years. If you hold that up, brilliant. So this is King David. Say hello, King David. Brilliant. Excellent. He took over from King Saul. 
He reigned for seven years in Hebron, 33 years in Jerusalem. When David became king, Israel was in a bit of a state. By the end of David reigning, 40 years later, uh, David, uh, 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 Israel is like a bit of a mini superpower. It has really grown up. It has prospered under David's um, leadership. And it says in 2 Samuel 5 verse 12, And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. In actual fact, David set the benchmark for all future kings would be measured by. He wholeheartedly followed God. He was exceptionally successful, even though he didn't get it all right. So, well done, David. You've reigned for 40 years. You've done really, really good. When you, you're going to die in a moment, but, but, don't, but don't, don't leave the stage, okay? You just stay standing there. When David died, he then handed over to his next son, which was Solomon. Fred? Fred's my youngest son. So on top of your hat, Fred, if you wear, if you wear that. There you go, Fred. Brilliant. So when, when David died, he handed over to Solomon. Now Solomon reigned for another 40s. Now every, everyone, no one's listening now, are they? Everyone's worried about who the last person is going to be that gets picked. Um, Solomon took over from David and he reigned for 40 years. Do you know what Solomon means? It means loved by God. And God named him through the prophet Nathan. How, how, what a not bad start, is it, to say, you know, so what are you going to be called? I'm going to be called loved by God. And by the way, God named, named me himself. Solomon starts really, really well. He has two personal visitations by God. Glory falls in the temple during a worship meeting that is so powerful that the whole thing absolutely has to stop. He is just massively successful. And it says in 1 Chronicles 29 verse 25, the Lord highly exalted Solomon in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him royal splendor such as no king over Israel ever had before. Solomon, you are the most successful king ever. You had more gold, bigger armies than your dad, David. I mean, absolutely, you were absolutely amazing. You did great. Externally, Solomon is totally flying high. Um, never been in a better place. But this is what it says in 1 Kings 11, 9 to 11. And the Lord was angry with Solomon. So although he started really well, first four, in the 40 years, started really well, towards the end of his reign, it didn't go well. Because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had com commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant, my statutes that I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. And the Bible basically says this about Solomon. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. David did really well, built on a personal devotion for God. Solomon, at the end of his reign, was doing really, really well, but the foundations were undermined. What's the third generation? Steve. Come, Steve. Now, Steve's one of the dads that uh, is here, and uh, um, it's going to be Imogen that we're going to give thanks to God for a bit later on. Come on, Steve. Give Steve a round of applause. He's quite shy. 
You've always wanted to rare, wear a gold crown, haven't you? <laughs> Brilliant. Excellent. This is Rehoboam. So Rehoboam was David's grandson and Solomon's son. He reigned for 17 years. He was 41 years old when he became king. And he was born and he saw all of Solomon's reign. Rehoboam would have experienced all the success at public life. Loads of gold, big armies, successful cities. He would have seen all of it, but he would have also seen Solomon's disobedience. Within a few short months of him becoming king, the glorious kingdom of Israel had been ripped from his grasp. He continued as king over two tribes, but the remaining ten tribes followed a man called Jeroboam. And things got worse. Five years later, Egypt attacked Jerusalem and took away much of the treasures and wealth that was there. And at the end of 17 years, this is what it said about Rehoboam. He did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. So you've got three generations. How can, in actual fact, 40 years, things change so much from massive, massive success to the point where actually it is all taken away? What was it that happened? Guys, thank you so much. So I know you won't want to. Can I have my crowns back for Bexhill? Is that all right? Where David had reigned in a time of growth, expansion and blessing, Rehoboam, just 40 years later, presided over a time of decline and judgment. When David handed to Solomon, things were pretty healthy. When Solomon handed to Rehoboam, things were not. What happened in the time of Solomon is just key to understanding, really, where things went wrong for Rehoboam. And I've just got five very simple key points that I want to bring to you that actually any of us can apply. So you, you may be a parent here, um, you may not. You may be a grandparent here, you may not. But actually when it comes to investing into the next generation, into making a difference, um, there are some five key simple things that I just want to bring to your attention. Three of them are internal to do with what's going on in your life. Two of them are external and in connection with people um, around you. So the first, the first one, and I will rattle through these quite quickly. The first thing is this, I notice, is that David walked with God. Although, although you'd have, we'd have noticed all of the public success, what we find is even as a teenager, David was a boy who walked with God. He obeyed God, he worshipped God, he honoured God in the small things, he wanted to hear God's voice, he was jealous for God's glory. If you read Psalm 63, you'll find something of David's heart for God that is absolutely um, impressive. Solomon, there's no real indication that Solomon walked with God in that way. He had some massive, Im massively impressive worship services. Do you know what I mean? So it's sort of gatherings like this, but thousands strong with an incredible band and choir and all of that. He had that, and that was going on throughout his reign. But there's nowhere in the Bible really which talks of Solomon having that walk with God in the same way. In actual fact, this is God's summary of Solomon's life. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. I know this might sound a bit harsh, but in reality, David walked with God and Solomon didn't. You might not have seen it at a distance, but if you'd been close up, you'd, you would have done. 
Jesus says, come, follow me. He didn't say, come to King's Church. He said, come, follow me. And the most important decision you can ever make is a decision you make in connection with what you think about Jesus and whether you are going to follow him or not. And it's possible to come gather with the church and, and get involved and sing some songs. And even, even when Paul encouraged that little section of you to sing out, to sing out at the top of your voice, but if you have not made that personal decision to follow Jesus, you're missing the key ingredient that is most important. Later on, Paul's going to lead us through as we thank God for the baby, the, these babies, the safe arrival. We're not making them Christians. They need to make a personal decision for that. What we're doing is we're committing them to God and praying for God's blessing upon them. But in the end... Every single person here in this auditorium, every single person on the face of the planet in the end needs to make a personal decision as to whether they're going to follow Jesus or not. And I think it's so, so important that we don't get just caught up in a good experience of gathering together. But as you're sat here right now in your chair, you know, no, I follow Jesus. And you, you may find even singing that song out, I love Jesus, you know, I love you, Lord, a little bit, little bit odd. It's not what you're used to, but, but you know there's that personal devotion as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's the most important thing. For David, he was someone that followed God. Can I, can I ask you the question just here right now? Are you a follower of Jesus? Can you say you know that? You've made that personal decision to trust, to put your trust in him. The second thing I notice about David, and it's a bit linked to the first one really, is that he obeyed God. This is, this is what it says about David a, th- a thousand years or so further on. God testified concerning him, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. David was a man that didn't just have God as a facade on his life, but right in the core of his being, he was someone that followed God and obeyed what God told him to do. In 2 Samuel 5.25, so David did as the Lord commanded him. He made wise decisions. He wanted to find out God's will. He probably did it predominantly through the word of God. But there were prophetic words as well that came. So for most of our lives, guys, 95% of our lives, we don't need a prophetic word to know what is right to do. We need to read the Bible. Because it's there, it's mapped out, it's clear. Sometimes we need prophetic words. They encourage us and they can strengthen us and stuff. But, but actually, so much of it is just mapped out in Scripture, just giving ourselves to knowing it and, uh, and following God. But Solomon didn't obey God. There's a number of clear instances in the Bible where, although what God wanted of a king of Israel was very, very clear, he, he didn't follow those instructions at all. I mean, it's, it says there that he had hundreds of royal wives. Well, the Bible says he shouldn't have had that. He shouldn't have had loads of wives. That's not how God designed for it to be. He, he, had, he had loads and loads of horses and a big army. God said, no, you shouldn't have that. You should be trusting in me. God said that um, you shouldn't gather up loads of gold, but he did all of those things in, in clear, really, disregard for what God had clearly said. Now, he still had the external success, but internally stuff was being eroded away. Following Jesus is absolutely 
amazing. I've been doing it for 35 years. It's not always been easy, but I wouldn't change it. But it does come at a cost, doesn't it? So if you're following Jesus, you're putting him first. There is a cost to it. Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what I command you. So, so, so love and obedience are really linked together in the word of God. There is a cost to following Jesus. He talks about pick up your cross and follow me day by day by day. Loads of amazing benefits and excitement and adventure and yet equally real cost to it too. Thirdly, um, th- this, this one will be really popular, I'm sure. I'm sure it will. Um, David knew how to repent. David knew how to say sorry to put things right. Anyone find that hard? Yeah? Wow, you're so holy. That's incredible. I find, I find personally, I find one of the hardest things to do, to admit I've got it wrong and put it right, particularly with the people who are nearest and dearest to me. David, King David made some horrendous mistakes, but he knew, he knew how to put it right properly. If you read Psalm 51, it's basically a public confession of some massive sin that he got wrong in, and he published it. He, he put it out there so that all of Israel could learn from his mistake. I don't know about you guys, I find it hard enough to say sorry to Chloe. I wouldn't be keen if during the church news, everything I got wrong during the week got put up there just so you guys could see it and learn from my mistakes. We, we, won't, we won't be doing that. But, but, but in a sense, that's what David did in this instance. He took the worst thing he ever did and published a song about it and told everyone. I mean, it's, it's, it's mad, but why? Because, because I, I, I guess he wanted people to know how to repent, how to get things right with God. We're not aware that, of Solomon repenting at all. So when God came to Solomon and said, look, these things are going wrong, there is, there is no, no record of him repenting in the way that David did. Can I say, and particularly parents, I think one of the best things as a parent you can teach your children to do is to say you've got it wrong. Show them that you know you've got it wrong and say sorry and repent. I, I would genuinely think, because as a parent, I get loads of stuff wrong but if I never apologize to my kids how on earth will they ever learn that that's what they are supposed to do um can I again this is I don't know you probably didn't think you was going to be challenged as much by this as this this morning when did you last repent again I'm, I'm not going to do a thing you know last last today last week no we won't we won't do that but but when did you you know when did you actually last say sorry to God or to someone who's close in your life, when did you look to put stuff right? When you changed your thinking and thought, no, I've been going the wrong way, I'm now going to follow, I'm going to go the other way. The very heart of the kingdom of heaven is repent and believe in Jesus. Repentance is right at the start, but actually it's it's a a day-by-day, week-by-week thing if you're a follower of Jesus, because we do just get stuff wrong. The next, the next two, the last two really, are two sides of the same coin. Um, so those three things are all to do with the heart. And I think whether it's parenting, grandparenting, being in church, 
playing your part, those three things are really key. Because in the end, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not obeying what he says, if you don't know how to repent, there is nothing on the inside to come out. But what about the other two sides of this coin that I just want to talk about? The other thing I noticed about David is he had wise and godly counsel. David had Nathan and Samuel. When David messed things up, it was Nathan who came and confronted him. And it took real humility from David and guts from Nathan uh, uh, to do that. When Rehoboam got his first big decision wrong, he did get advice, but it was from people of his own age. And they advised him completely the wrong thing to do, and he messed stuff up. Even as mature adults, any of you in the room mature adults? Nah. Well, okay, this is deliberate, definitely for you then. Advice, correction, and help are invaluable if you want to live a flourishing life. When someone comes and gives you a bit of advice, are you prickly? Are you difficult to approach? Do you generally snap? Or do you, are you open? Are you happy to accept? Do you invite feedback? Oh, the problem with me doing this, you know, is over Sunday lunch. When I'm sat there over Sunday lunch and Chloe or, actually Freddie may well say, you know, you're going to ask me for some feedback then, Dad? Do you know what I mean? Um, but, but, but genuinely, when, when do we do that? When do you do that? Who do you go to for the truth? Who, who, who do you know if you approach and ask them a question, they will tell you the truth? Lovingly, compassionately. And then lastly, I noticed that David invested in the next generation. David prepared the first decade of Solomon's kingship. He, he got it already. He got the temple ready. He provided the materials, the money, the gold, the labor, everything needed. Solomon chose his own people to run the show, but, but it was a natural progression from David's generation. It appears that Solomon didn't prepare Rehoboam in the same way. How are you investing into the next generation? Parenting's a great privilege, a massive responsibility. It's God-given. The best thing we can do is to walk devoted to Jesus. Not just a public display on the outside, but private devotion. The next is that we invest in our children from the earliest age. We look to do the best we can to bring them up, to be devoted followers of Jesus, to, to, to uh, uh, respond well in difficult situations, to be resilient, to make good decisions. Parents, that's a key part for us. Firstly, to be devoted ourselves. Secondly, to train our children to go the next way. David did that in some regards for Solomon, but Solomon didn't do it for Rehoboam. And so in the end for Rehoboam, there was a form of religion, but no spirit of God. There was an enjoy, enjoying of a service, but no commitment. There were those that came along and listened to the sermons, but they didn't obey what the Bible taught. Giving birth to something that slips through the fingers of the next generation, it looked good, but it wasn't the real thing. Our hearts were not fully devoted to the Lord our God. 
God's given us something, actually, even as a church, that's a, that's a blessing, that's a gift from him. Um, we've got a responsibility to make sure that we invest in the next generation so that they don't take the external form but miss the heart of what we have got. So what does it mean to uh, invest in the next generation? Um, it starts in prayer, both personal and corporate. We need to know we don't need to be perfect to invest in the next generation. You don't need to wait until you've got it all sorted. Um, and actually, I, I was thinking, when's the best setting to do it? I wonder in church context, one of the best places to do it is at the coffee after the meeting. Just speak to people you don't know of a different generation. Just start to build friendship, relationship across generations. Or connect groups are really good as well. So there are midweek groups that, that meet fortnightly, where actually you just hang out different generations together, where we can build friendship and grow together. It says in Acts 13, verse 36, For when David had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep. My heart, my passion for you guys as parents is that you would firstly serve God's uh, purposes in your generation, but then that you would prepare your children to serve the purposes of God in their generation. That would be my desire. But for us as a church, that we would together serve the purposes of God in our generation and at the same time be preparing the next generation for everything God has got for them. Can I invite the band back up, please? Brilliant. Why don't we stand? I'm just going to pray and uh, I'm going to pray and then we're going to um, have, a, have a song, a response. That'd be absolutely brilliant. Excellent. Lord, I, I just want to thank you, Lord, that we often think in, in, in the space of a couple of months or a couple of years and sometimes we can look at stuff and go, oh, that hasn't worked very well. Lord, I, I thank you, Lord, that you work in generations. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that as a church we're building on a past generation. Lord, I pray would you please help us to build really, really well. I pray, Lord God, would we not be a church just with an outward form, but uh, I pray we'd have an inward devotion Guys, to you. I'm about to take you off mute. I ask you, we wouldn't just get caught with the trappings of maybe like a good kid's work or the worship being good, but, but we, would be, we would be a community of people that first and foremost are individually following you, Jesus, and we commit our lives to that. But I pray as well, Lord God, that we would be a church, Lord God, that also actively takes steps to commit into the next generation, to pray for them, to uh, uh, seek their good, to make space for them, to put aside our preferences in order for theirs to come through. Lord, I ask you you'd help us with that. I pray for the parents here today and uh, the little ones we're going to be thanking God for. I ask you, Lord God, would you help them to invest in the next generation really, really well? I pray you give them all the courage and all the strength, all the resilience, all the love that they need, even when it's really, really hard. I pray, Lord God, would you be good uh, to them? Would you help them? And would you pour your Holy Spirit into them? We pray for that in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Brilliant.